with your family relationships that are hard, with your parents' health that is rapidly deteriorating, with your in-law relationships that are difficult, with your children that are out of your house and trying to figure out how to navigate life on their own, you have one primary function, and that is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that connects, in a way that understands, in a way that radically transforms their life, and in a way that provides for healthy relationships for all of eternity. Because this life is short, and it doesn't last. We've said this before, we'll say it again, look, look, nobody gets out alive. But eternity, eternity goes on and on and on and on. And so in your extended family, my extended family relationships that get really awkward and really difficult at times, my primary concern is not how comfortable I am. It's not whether we're doing things that I enjoy doing. My primary concern can never be whether or not I feel like my rights were upheld. My primary concern cannot be was I taken advantage of. My primary concern can't be do I feel like they were mean to me. My primary concern is and must be, do they know Jesus Christ personally, intimately? Have they surrendered him? Are they following him? And the reason that becomes so critical is, is because if they have, then those strained relationships now for the next 30 years of my life that are going to be strained and difficult are going to be glorious and fantastic and beyond expectation for all of eternity. I can handle 30 years of nonsense of being made to feel less than or put down or not treated as well as I think I should be. I can handle that because I know that I have got an eternity of a glorious sibling relationship or extended family relationship or parent-child relationships that I know will last forever. And because I have a perspective that looks past this life, this hardship is trumped by that reality. And so my primary goal is the gospel. You've got parents that are deteriorating fast. Look, I, I remember vividly my mom and dad for both of their sets of parents. I mean, they were heartbroken. Dementia set in, physical disabilities set in, uh, you know, and uh, for, for my grandparents, it's not always the way that it is, but, but sometimes they, they got nastier. It seems like the older they got, they, they just kind of reverted a little bit. And it broke my parents' heart. Not the time, and it took a lot of time out of their schedule. That's not what hurt them so much. And it wasn't the money that they had to spend. Uh, I'm sure they didn't love doing that, but that's not what hurt them so much. What hurt them so much, what hurt them more than anything else, was that they would come home and we'd sit down and we'd talk or we'd have conversation. They'd say, that's not my mom. That's not who she is. That, that's, that's, not, that's not grandpa. That's, that's not who he is. And they would wrestle with that. But here's the great thing. When we focus on the gospel, everything that they've lost, everything that they've lost in those later years, when they believe and follow Jesus, everything is restored and then some. And so, again, I don't care what the situation is. I think we can boil it down to the gospel of Jesus Christ is what we need. And so the question for us is how do we turn opportunities? How do we create opportunities for our relationships to be about the gospel? Here's the deal. If your kids live at home, it's easier. Okay? If your kids are out of the house, it's doable. It's a little bit harder. If they're extended relationships, extended family relationships, 
Well, it's still doable. It gets a little bit more complicated. But our focus and our goal doesn't change, and the way that we approach it doesn't change. Just because it gets harder and things change doesn't mean we quit. And let me offer you a word of grace here. As we get into Scripture, some of you are sitting here thinking, man, as we talk about this, you're going to say over and over again, I have jacked that up. I have done the complete wrong thing. I've messed it up. I've messed it up. I've messed it up. There's no way it'll ever be right. I've screwed my kids up. I've screwed up the relationships. I've acted totally inappropriately. It won't work. And here's what I would say. God's grace is bigger than that. Your mistakes might be huge. God's grace is huger. That's not right. It's massive. It covers everything. When I trust and I turn and I follow. But it starts with your faith, and that's why we start here. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6, here's what this says. This is, this is something that uh, uh, Jewish folks had to learn and memorize and say frequently, and it's something that Jesus uh, told us in, in the New Testament. This was the greatest of all the commands. When he was pressed um, by a Pharisee saying, hey, what's the greatest of the commands? Jesus boiled it down to this. Listen, O Israel. Listen, O Vinton. Hey, blessed hope, pay attention. Heads up on this one. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. And so this is uh, God speaking through Moses. And he's basically making this statement that says, hey, look, Pay attention, know this, understand this. The first and foremost thing that you have to do, the thing that should drive you, the thing that you should be known by is simply this, that you love the Lord your God alone. There is nobody else that's on the same level as him. Your kids, your family, your spouse, your PlayStation, your Xbox, your Cubs, your golf, your work. I don't care what it is. I I listed things that are important for, for my family. Uh, you could plug in whatever, except the golf. Nobody at my house golfs. Um, unless it's on the Wii. I'll have you know, I was very good at Wii golf for a while. <laughs> like, really good. Like, I could have gone pro. <laughs> but I wanted to be your pastor instead. So, we all make sacrifices. It costs to follow. No, anyway. We're way off. But, but whatever it is, right? He is God alone. There is nothing else on his level, on his plane. There is nothing else that you should consider as important as God. And he says, not only that, but but here's what you do. You love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And you commit yourselves wholeheartedly to the commands that he gives you. And so here's what this means. And basically, by the way, this is Christianity in a nutshell. You're sinful. I'm sinful. We mess up all the time. We can't be right the holy God of the universe. There's no way we can be with a holy God of the universe because he looks at us and he has to see sin. And God, it's not that, he, that, he, that he's being petty. This is a holy, perfect God. And in his perfection, he can't look at sin and evil and wrong. But he loves us like crazy, so he sends Jesus. God in flesh who lives a perfect life sinless life. He doesn't mess up. I mess up all the time. Jesus never messed up. But then what's he do? He goes to the cross anyway, and he dies on the cross. And scripture tells us that all of our sin, past, present, future, all of the sins of all of the people ever were put on 
Jesus on the cross. He didn't, listen to me, man, this is not a flippant light thing. He takes on all sin so that we can be forgiven. And then he doesn't stay dead. They, they put him in the tomb and three days later he bursts forth and, and he conquers death so that when we trust and follow him, our sins are forgiven and paid for on the cross and we have this new life. But one of the mistakes we always make at church is we make that an intellectual thing. That's why something like Tanner's baptism is so cool. Because Tanner had been taught from the beginning about Jesus and about the cross. My kids have been taught since the beginning about Jesus and about the cross. Your kids probably have been taught for a long time about Jesus and the cross. But what happens is there's this moment where I say, okay, not only do I just need to know it, but I commit myself wholeheartedly to the commands that I'm given, to the ways of Jesus. Not just I can intellectually agree that Jesus was real and that he died and that it covers me, but I'm committing myself wholeheartedly to following the ways of Jesus, the commands that he gives, the things that God lays out for us in scripture. See, this is Christianity in a nutshell, and, and, and it's laid out here. He says, this is what your life needs to be like. And the reason we dwell here is simply this. Listen to me. You cannot make disciples in Jesus without being a disciple of Jesus. Talking to Dave Condry last week, we, we, one of the things we always do is, is we compare sermon notes, right? Because then he can give me things that, that help sharpen me and I can give him things that help sharpen him. And we're having this conversation and, and this was um, the theme of his sermon last week. And I said, you know, that's ironic because it's similar to, to some of the things that we'll do on Sunday. And this is the way that he phrased it that I thought was just as good as it gets. You can't be a disciple maker without being a disciple. You cannot influence people with the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they can spend eternity in heaven so that your relationship with them will be everything God intended it to be forever if you don't have that relationship with Jesus. You can't be a discipler, a disciple maker, unless you're a disciple. We've talked about this before, that genuineness matters. And so here's, here's what I want you to know. When you got family stress, whether it's your kids or your grown kids or your grandkids or your extended family or your, your parents or, or aunts and uncles or whatever it is, you can't appropriately deal with that family stress until you have appropriately submitted to Jesus. And some of you, that, that'll, that'll confuse you. You'll be like, well, the two things aren't related. You'll think, well, the, the two things, they're not connected. They don't have a, a connection, right? Because the, the relationship I have with my mom and dad should have nothing to do with, with my relationship with the God of the universe. And I'm going to say, no, 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 that, you can't really believe that, can you? Because your relationship with the God of the universe transforms everything that you are. And if you're here and you're a parent, and your kids live with you, and they watch you. I mean, it's, it's hard when they're three, four, five. I mean, it's really hard when they're teenagers, because then they don't miss anything. When they're three, you can kind of pick and choose what they see. When they're teenagers, they don't miss a thing. And I'm going to teach them about how important it is to listen and understand God in matters of faith, and how 
important heaven is in their life, and I'm going to live a life that doesn't submit? How does that work? I mean, here's the thing. We know this. Your kids will catch everything you do much better than they'll catch the things that you say. I mean, they just will. I, I don't... My brother, he has no problem with language. Um, he'll use whatever he wants to use, and he doesn't, he doesn't apologize for it. Um, but uh, I remember when his kids... So he, he won't mind that I shared this story. But I remember when Aaron, my... my uh, my niece, my oldest niece, she's 18 now, but I remember when she, she's 19 now, um, but I remember when she was younger, she was about three, and she was just learning how to talk well, okay, um, and uh, Mike will tell the story that they were one night driving around the grocery store, and somebody stole their spot, and Aaron, <laughs> because um, telling Aaron, hey, don't say things you're not supposed to say, well, that, that went a little bit, but yet she heard and she knew what she'd experienced. And so she had, with the window rolled down, some very colorful words for the nice man that took their parking spot. I mean, talk about a gut check. I mean, when, when, you've, when you've got a three-year-old throwing out F-bombs because somebody cut in front of you at the grocery store, it cements the fact that what is seen is much more significant than what's heard and what's taught. And when I sit my kids down and I intentionally try to tell them something, that's great. But what they see me do and what they hear me do and what real life looks like, that matters more. And it matters for your kids, it matters for your parents, it matters for the extended relationships around you. And it starts with this simple idea where... God says, look, here's the thing. First and foremost, before you do anything else, know this. You've got to be a follower. You've got to be real. You've got to be genuine. You've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with everything that you have, outside and inside. It's got to be written on your heart. And we talk written on your heart. Don't get confused about written on your heart. Don't think that written on your heart is like this, this little pencil thing. No, no, no. I mean, he, that word for written on your heart, that is engraved. That is, you grab a hammer, you grab a chisel, and you get it in there so that it's not movable, and that it is what it is, and that it's there, and it's permanent. That's what this is supposed to be. And then he continues, and he says, okay, and so once that's done, once you are who you're supposed to be, once you are committed, once this is engraved in your heart, then you move forward. Repeat the laws again and again to your children, but not just verbally, right? But show them, talk about them when you're at home and when you're out. These are bookends, right? So I tell you about it here, and then I live it with you here. And it's on your minds when you wake up in the morning, and then it's with you again when you go to bed. Our lives, now listen to this, because this is, some of you are going to say, man, that's too far, it's too far, I don't want to do that to my kids, I don't want to do that in my relationships. You're like, oh, it'll make my relationships awkward and weird, and yes, it very well may. But you've got 30 years of awkward and weird, and then you've got eternity. When you are following Jesus Christ, 30 years of awkward, weird, and self-sacrifice are worth the rest of this. I promise you. It's hard to grasp because you haven't seen it. You can't touch it. You can't put your eyes on it. But it's there and it's real. And, and, it, and it will go forever. And so here's the deal. We sit here and we say, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and have these awkward conversations. 
I'm going to ask my extended family about matters of faith. I'm going to ask, man, what do you think about God? And I'm going to listen. And if they disagree with me, I'm going to listen. And I'm going to hear. And I'm going to engage. I'm going to be part of that conversation. And I'm going to say, well, you know what? Here's what I believe. And maybe I'm going to get made fun of and mocked. It's happened in my life. Maybe it's happened in yours too. But you know what? I can get made fun of. I can get mocked. You know why? Because eternity is a really long time. And hell is real. And I love these people. And so I become a disciple. And then... I live like a disciple and I get awkward. And so here's a couple things I want you to think about. When you talk about when, you, when, when, they're, when you're at home and you sit and when you're out for walking, and this is specifically saying children, but it's all of them. Here's the thing, it changes. My kids that are at home, we can have these conversations more freely and more regularly. Uh, my kid that's moved out of my house, you know, she's 25 and she's gone. These look different. These in- include intentional phone calls to check in. These included, before she decided to be vegan, (laughs) Riley, if you listen online, I'm a little disappointed in that. They used to, if you're vegan here, I'm not mad at you, you just, you miss out a lot. (laughs) And we used to go get, we had sushi lunches. I don't know what there is now. But it, it involves, with her, because she doesn't live at home, it involves something different, Right? I have to reach out differently, still intentional, but different with my brother and my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law and my other sister-in-law and my in-laws. We have to do it differently, but you know what? Any opportunity is one I should take. I actually felt pretty darn disappointed in myself. It was a couple of weeks ago, Carrie, Carrie drove to Iowa City to have lunch with her sister, her stepdad, and her niece. And she and Travis and Aubrey went and I begged out. It had been a long week. It was a Saturday. I'd had meetings here a couple of nights until 9, 9.30, and I just didn't want to do it. I just wanted a day at home, and so I begged out. I chose, I'm going to be comfortable instead of going to have lunch with people that need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ and putting myself in an uncomfortable situation. Because I lost perspective for a second. And that would have been an opportunity to repeat it. My, the way that Jesus has touched me and changed me and, and has directing the footsteps of my life when I sat down, when I went out, when I woke up, when I went to bed, I could have modeled that for my kids. I could have modeled it for my wife. And I could have shared the gospel with people that desperately need to know the gospel. But I missed because I was tired. Okay, we keep going though. Here, here's the thing. You're like, how? How do, we, how do we get ourselves into these conversations? How do we work them in? Well, here's three things that you do. Okay, so I want to encourage you. You can write these down or you can remember them probably. Or, uh, but, but these are three very intentional steps that I want to encourage you to do. The first one is pray. I want you to pray. I want you to never stop praying. If you've got family on your heart, if you've got kids that you uh, lose sleep over, if you've got extended family or, or adult parents, whatever it is, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray. Uh, in fact, there's a, uh, here's a small group plug, small group, summer small group. Uh, this is praying circles around the lives of your children. This is a group that Carrie and I will be leading and you are all invited to join. Uh, this is one of the groups that we won't cap. 
Many groups we cap at 10 or 12 people. This is a group that will take however many we can because what we'll do is, is the majority of this group, you'll have reading, you'll have work to do, but the majority of this group will be spent connecting with one another about what's on our heart for our kids and then a good chunk of every group. So sign up with caution. A good chunk of every group will be spent in corporate prayer together, praying circles around our kids praying for their salvation. And, and if they're kids that are out of the house, it works for them too, praying for their future spouse. And I, I can tell you that I have prayed so much for Aubrey and Travis and Riley's future spouses, people that I probably haven't met. Maybe I have and I don't know it. But people that I probably haven't met, that those people, when they get married, I will feel confident and comfortable that they have been covered in godly prayer. And when they get married, if they're following God, that, that God will bring the people into their lives that he wants them to be with. I mean, I'll just be bluntly honest with you when Travis, because we got Riley and she was 10, so we hadn't ever, um, and plus we were stupid and immature, um, but, but with Travis, I was just learning out, learning and figuring out how prayer works. I mean, there are, there are things I prayed for him that, that other people would think foolish, but man, I, here's the thing. God says, ask. You don't have because you don't ask. So I asked, right? I mean, I prayed for, for his health. I, I prayed for his sleep at night. I prayed, I prayed that Travis would grow up to be a man. Get this. Now, this, this is, we can trust each other, right? So I'll tell you this. When, when Travis was, was two or three, this was a common prayer. I, I prayed that Travis would grow to be a man that loved God and loved a woman. Because I, I, I know how hard that would have been for him to live a godly life. We are to pray, and we are to pray, and we are to pray. And so you're like, man, I don't know how to start, and I can't sleep at night, and I'm losing sleep and everything, and all this anxiety and worry, then you know what? Here's your first step. When you can't sleep, pray. Don't waste it. Don't waste that time. Pray. 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 Pray circles around your kids. Pray circles around your family. Claim promises of God and don't stop. And I'm not talking like, you know, prosperity, gospel, name it, claim it stuff. No, that's garbage. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you pray. Pray for the promises that God has actually given. That when, you know what, when your children are older, teach them the way they should go when they're young. And when they're older, they won't stray from it and they'll return to it. Those are prayers I pray for my kids. Often. Those are prayers that you should pray for your kids and grandkids often. Your extended family, pray. Pray. But you can't just pray. I know too many people who are like, well, I pray for him. I've never talked to him, but I pray for him. You pray, and then you invest. You spend time. You barbecue. You make yourself uncomfortable. You go out to dinner. You help fix a fence. One of the coolest things, you know, I... My brother used to have a neighbor. His name was Matt. Great name. <laughs> Matt was a good Christian man. I don't know Matt anymore. I don't know where he's at. He moved away. I don't know what he's doing. But I know that Matt and his wife prayed frequently for my brother and my sister-in-law and their kids when they were neighbors. Because Mike and Carrie had no spiritual inclination whatsoever. And I know Matt prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And I know Matt invested I know Matt invested. We had a windstorm. Um, I mean, you guys have had windstorms. 
we had a windstorm that wasn't as bad, but it knocked a tree down in Mike's yard and, and wrecked his fence. Mike came home from work. I happened to be with him. Came home from work. Matt was out there fixing Mike's fence. Why? Because he'd been praying. And you know one of the things he'd been praying for? God, give me opportunities to love them. Give me opportunities to show them the gospel of grace. Give me opportunities to show them that you're for real and that you change lives and that you make a difference. So Mike and I get out of the car. Matt's there fixing a fence. And hey, what, what are you going to do? You're not going to say, hey, thanks, neighbor, for fixing my fence. I'm going to go inside. You're like, hey, thanks. Let me come help. And you know what happened there? Because he had prayed and because he had invested the time, he was able to seize the opportunity. And, and, and you know what? It didn't land at the time, and I'm praying that it still will. It was like, Mike, you know why I'm doing this? I'm doing this because God loves you. And I want to show you how much in just this small way that I can. I'd love it if you guys had come to church with us. Now, invitation accepted? I, no. But these are the things you can do. You know what? Stop losing sleep and, and, and stop worrying and having anxiety and invest where you can invest. You pray, you spend the time, and then you seize the opportunities when they're presented. And when they're presented, and they will be presented, when the opportunities are presented, don't wimp out but you share faith and spiritual things and you have spiritual conversations and you say, okay, well, Matt, how does that work? Well, it works like this. Look at this real quick. 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 11 says this. But you, Timothy, this is, this is Paul talking to Timothy, his son in the faith who he's mentored and brought along. It's one of those relationships. He says, but you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach. You know how I live and you know what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I've endured. You know all about how I was persecuted, but the Lord rescued me from all of it. Okay, and so in just these two short verses, Paul is, is basically giving us a primer on what a spiritual conversation can look like. Okay, you're like, okay, Matt, I'll pray and I'll invest the time, but how do I have the spiritual conversation with my brother-in-law? How do I have the spiritual conversation with my 30-year-old kid? How do I have these things? And I'll tell you, the way that you have these things is you follow some of these things. You, you get good at this. You talk about these things. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach. You'll notice that, that Paul says here, you know what I teach. If you're here with kids, listen to me. Understand this very clearly. Your kids will turn 18 and they'll go off to college and they will have no doubt about what I believe because I will have told them every Sunday that they're here. They will have no doubt about what Vince believes because downstairs in a youth group, he is pouring into them. They'll have no doubt about what the church believes. But Paul says, man, you know what I teach. Do your kids know what you believe? Do, do those, those extended relations? I mean, it's one thing. Here, here's the deal. I hear this all the time, and I hear it with kids, and I, and I hear it with, with your, uh, your siblings or the adults in your life, and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to let my actions speak for themselves. Some of you have probably said that before. Well-meaning, like, I'm just going to live a good Christian life, and I'm going to let my actions speak for themselves. And people will see that I'm different, and they'll want to know why I'm different, and then they're going to say, hey, Matt... Can we go to lunch? Because I notice you're different and I want to know why. And then I'll tell them, well, I'm different because I follow Jesus. And they'll be like, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus too. And everybody wins. That's great. 
I don't think that's going to happen. And if it does, it's certainly not going to happen consistently across the board. I want you to live the right kind of life, but you have to add to it spiritual conversations. You have to add to it spiritual conversations because the rest of the world is adding spiritual conversations. So people need to know what you teach, what you believe. Your kids need to know. Do your kids know what you think about sin? I mean, honestly, do your kids know why their wrong behavior is so bad? Or do they think it's just because it bothers you? Do they understand that sin is against not you, but the God of the universe? Do your kids understand grace? That God loves you so much. I'll show you how much I love you, but let me tell you, God loves you so much that that wrong thing you did, paid for, in full. Do your kids understand what you believe about why we're here? Do they know what you believe about creation? Do they know what you believe about heaven? This one hurts. Have you ever taught your kids about hell? Because it's real. And our kids need to know not just what the church says and what the church teaches, but they need to know what you teach and they need to understand what you teach. And it's not just that, but it keeps going. And he says, how I live. We've covered that, right? It's, it's you know, Paul saying, look, you know what I teach, but you also know that it shows up in the way that I live. It's not just words, but it shows up. It's genuine, right? I don't just tell you, hey, you know what? God owns everything that you have. I show them that God owns everything I have. Why? Because I put my tithe check in the offering plate and I talk to them about it. Hey guys, we do this because everything is God's and this is us being obedient to God. So it's not just what I say, but it's how I live. And then Paul continues, he says, and what my purpose is. You know, what my goal in life is. Do your kids... Your, your, your brother-in-law, do, do your, your nephews, your niece, the people that are on your heart, do they know what your purpose in life is? I mean, if we go back to Deuteronomy um, 6, do they know that your purpose is to love God with everything you have and that is the primary importance in your life? Do they know it? Do they know your purpose? If I ask them, hey, wh what's mom's purpose? Would they be able to tell me that? And you know my faith. He keeps going, you know my faith. My, my trust in things that I can't see. You've seen me act in faith. You've seen me do things that don't make sense to you because you don't have faith. You know, when, when, when we moved here to Vinton, um, that was for, it, it really, for, for people that are Christian, it was like, well, yeah, of course you'd move to Vinton. The church called you, you went to Vinton. That's how it works. But for people in my family, in my extended family, who didn't understand what faith is like, this was an opportunity for us to say, well, yeah, but this is faith, right? God will take care of this. He'll do things here. Have your kids seen you? Have the family that you're losing sleep over, that you're praying for, that you're investing in, have they seen you demonstrate faith in ways that don't make sense, in ways that are so ridiculous that somebody would have to look at it and say, man, if God doesn't show up, they're sunk. Because, I mean, that's, that's what it is. We, we, we want to demonstrate faith that is so incomprehensible that people that don't know Jesus Christ are looking at that and going, oh my goodness, what is that about? That's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And then it works, and then it happens, and we get to say, well, it's because we were just following God. 
Listen to me. Hopefully you understand that I've made plenty of mistakes in my life. Every once in a while we do it right, usually on accident. But that's how it was when we adopted Riley. You know, we'd been married six months. And we adopted Riley, and, and it was just, you know what? It was just an act of faith to say, you know what? God has laid this on our heart, um, this, this, this wonderful girl that, that needs a place to be stable and, and to be. And uh, Carrie was pregnant, you know, six months, and she's, she's about, um, no, I'm sorry. We'd been married about 10 months, and she was about six months pregnant. And, and Riley comes to live with us, and, and we've got all the people like, oh, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's our family, the people that, that we love and that the relationships are hard. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. And you know what? And it works. And God shows up. And we can say, you know what? That, that's what faith is. It's following God and trusting him to show up. Now, I mean, I won't tell you about the many times where we got scared and didn't act in faith because, well, that would be silly. They're there too. But do your kids know, do the people in your life, do they know about your faith? And do they know how God has responded? And my patience, this is a gimme, 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 I want it right now world. Do your kids, do the people in your life, do they see your patience, your endurance? Or do they see your whining? Newsflash, life is hard. It's hard for everybody. It's not just hard for you. Life is hard for everybody. Are you known because you whine about it? Or do your kids see that you persevere and you push through and that you have endurance? Paul continues. He says, you know my love. You have been loved like nobody's business by the God of the universe. You cannot act unloving and expect your kids or the people in your life to track it. See, this should be gut check time for some of us because what we do is, is in the guise of, of healthy boundaries. And look, I'm a counselor by nature. I had a degree in counseling. I did counseling for a long time. I am all about healthy boundaries. But under the guise of healthy boundaries, you can't build walls and refuse to love people and then expect your your kids or the people around you to understand that God loves and he breaks down walls. I'm not saying you put yourself in bad situations or you put yourself in dangerous situations, but I am saying that sometimes you just have to forgive and you have to love and you have to, you have to, to go further than you feel comfortable going in love. Why? Because the God of the universe has given everything to love you. And you can't share that, you can't communicate that unless you're willing to do that for others. It says, you know my persecution. Do the people in your life know, and not in a whining way, but in a grateful way, do the people in your life know what it's cost you to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Did it cost you promotion? Did it cause you relationships? Has it caused you to be mocked? Has it cost you financially? Has it cost you in what ways? And you know what? Don't sugarcoat that stuff for the people in your life. I'm not saying you whine about it. Absolutely not. You know, whine about it. But you know what? Do they know? Do they know that it cost you and that you think it's worth it? The persecution. And, and, and we, I mean, we don't have anything with persecution here. 
Like, I mean, we are persecuted in such minor ways. Around the world, people are persecuted ridiculously for being Christians. But, but we deal with things. And when we deal with things, because we're Christ followers, do our kids know that, yes, it happened, and yes, it's worth it. When they make fun of you at school because you believe the Bible, hey, you know what? That happened to me, and it's worth it. Just the other day at work, right, somebody made fun of me because I said I believed in a six-day creation. That didn't happen here. Um, but it was an example. It happened when I worked in schools. But, but, I mean, do my kids know? Yeah, look, if they make fun of you for believing the Bible, man, the same thing happened to me just, just yesterday at work. And you know what? It's worth it. It's worth it because God's word is so true and God is so right. And every... They know you're suffering. Listen, everybody suffers. This world is broken. You got death. You got cancer. You got heartache. You got... Um, people acting like they shouldn't act. You've got families that are ravaged by divorce. You've got um, husbands or wives stepping out. You've got all kinds of things that happen because the world is broken. But, but listen, do the people in your life, the people you're trying to pour into, your kids, your, your family, do they understand that that's not the end of the world for you? I'm not saying you ever act like that stuff doesn't matter. But do they understand that you have a hope that goes past this? Somebody dies? Do you act like that's the end of the world? Or do you grieve, but you grieve like somebody that has hope? One of the things that parents ask me frequently, one of the things that parents ask me frequently is how much should I grieve in front of my kids? Somebody dies, something happens. How much should I grieve in front of them? And here's what I say. I say, well, if you're, if you're grieving as somebody that has hope, then you grieve all the way in front of your kids because they need to see you grieve and they need to see your hope. They need to understand that because that grows their faith. It teaches them that God is worth it. If you're gonna grieve and act like things are awful and terrible and it's the end of the world, then no, you lock that away. You do that privately. Because when they look at that grieving, you know what they're going to see? They're going to see this is the worst thing ever. Nobody can fix this. But when you grieve as somebody with hope, Paul says, you know, man, you know my suffering. And you know it didn't wreck me because I have hope. That's what people need to see when they look at your life. And, and, And that last one, you know all about how I was persecuted, but the Lord rescued me from it. Do they know about how God has come through for you time and time again? If I ask somebody that's important in your life, somebody that you're praying for, somebody that you're trying to invest in, somebody that you're looking to seize opportunities, if I said to them, hey, how has God showed up in Carrie's life? Hopefully they'd be able to tell me because that's evidence of faith being worked out. See, the cool thing is when you do these things, It doesn't fix any problem, but it takes active control of the things that cause you to lose sleep. When you pray, well, then your your wasted sleep, it's not worthless. It does something. It means something because when I can't sleep, I'm going to the Lord in prayer and whatever is keeping me awake, whatever is on my heart, I'm giving that to God. 
I'm redeeming that time, and I'm asking him for opportunities. And you know what that I'm doing? I'm investing. I'm making myself less important, and I'm making them more important, and I'm spending time doing whatever it is to bridge that gap. You know what? If you've got kids at home, then it means I'm turning the TV off, and we're going to play another board game, okay? Or we're going to go out, and we're going to shoot hoops, or we're going to go for a drive, and we're going to do something. I'm investing the time. If it's people outside, right, I'm going to write them a letter, I know you, you kind of like, haha, write a letter. No, no, no. Can you imagine if you've got a 25, a 27-year-old kid, a 30-year-old kid, somebody that you can't connect with the same way you did when they were at home, but you write them a letter telling them how much they mean to you and how much God's done for you and how you so wish that for their life, how that matters, how that has impact and influence. See, you're going to pray, and so it's not wasted time. And then you're going to act, you're going to invest, and then you're going to seize every opportunity that God puts in front of you to have spiritual conversations. And in those spiritual conversations, you're going to make sure they know what you believe. They're going to make sure you know um, about your faith. You're going to make sure they know about how you can handle persecution and hardships because it works, because God is with you and Jesus has redeemed things and it makes sense. So you don't have to just be helpless in this. See, when, when Jesus says, when God says, worry about nothing, have anxiety about nothing, but in everything through prayer and petition, make your request known to God who's already provided for you, this is the way that works. That's not saying that when you pray, God will take it all away. But what it's saying is when you pray, God will give you avenues and pathways to be productive so that you won't have to toss and turn and have no hope, but that you can be productive in doing things. And the gospel is key because when people respond to the gospel, even if we still have hardship together, when people respond to the gospel, all of eternity shifts and changes. And I know you can't necessarily grasp all of eternity right now, but trust me, it matters. Trust me, it's real. All right, so I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to ask uh, the praise team to come up and, and Malia to come, and, and I, I just i um, going to encourage you. You've got that card in front of you. It says, say yes to God's plan for your families. And I'm just going to encourage you to do a couple things now. Um, I don't need to know what it is, but you write it down. Sorry. Um, I don't need to know what it is that you write down, but, but write something down. And, and so it's, what do I yearn for? What relationship? And maybe it's just the name of a person. What am I trying to move? What relationship am I trying to go in? And what's encouraging in that? How am I moving forward in those? Or what are some things that I know I can do? And then it's the idea of surrender. What do I have to, what do I have to give up? How do I have to get over myself to make those steps forward? I want you to, you can think about that. If you've got a pen, you can write that out. Stick it in your Bible, take it home, and then you can hold on to it, okay? All right. And then, uh, again, let me pray, and we'll ask the, the praise team to come up, and, and we'll prepare to do that, and the ushers as well. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the way that you continually pour in um, to us. We thank you for the idea that, that even though these things burden us, that we're not without hope, that we can do our part, that we can um, be productive, that we can pray and that we can invest and that we can seize the opportunity to have these spiritual conversations because you've given us a plan to move forward, uh, to, to redeem those relationships and to make them right for all of eternity. God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that, for the fact that we can be right with you because of it 
And we thank you for the mission that you've given us to help move other people into that. God, we love you and we praise you. Amen.